Good morning. morning. So thankful, as I say every week, and I really mean it, I'm so thankful to be here with you this morning. I'm so thankful to get to uh, open the Word of God again, to be able to rightly divide the Word of God, to be able to uh, share it with each other, honestly. I think um, a lot of times, you know, we have been taught, and maybe we even help condition this as a church, we have been taught that personal stuff, Bible study and personal growth is just that, it's personal and that's it. And, and I really believe that uh, in some way, small, maybe, maybe big, your personal growth is dependent upon the person sitting next to you as much as it is, as it is you. So um, I think we need to make sure that we consider that as we go into this Vintage Values series Um, Consider how much uh, our growth is sort of interdependent upon each other. Uh, This is why we reiterate our values. This is why we uh, have such a strong uh, bent towards studying the scriptures and, and personally and as a congregation. And I believe uh, it is the best method uh, I believe this is the best method for knowing God and and trusting Him. I want to thank everybody uh, who was able to help in some way for VBS this week. Uh, I thought the week was great. I thought Wild Lexi did a really good job uh, every day, and we're so thankful for her. And I know that other people put a ton of work into it, and I'm not going to sit here and mention everybody. But the de- the decorations were great. The acting was mostly good. Uh, the acting was great, and, um, and it was very helpful. I know that our kids enjoyed it, and uh, I believe that it's going to be a, I, believe, I think it's something good for uh, creating memories. I think that's something we should do with each other. Uh, for enjoying each other, I think that's something we should do for discipleship and growth uh, and all of those things. It's Discipleship and growth and sharing the gospel, they're all great things, and those should be priority in our life. But we should also remember that as we do that, we're humans, and so we should have uh, fun times and and good opportunities surrounding those things uh, that create those memories while we're growing in the Lord. I hope we're looking for opportunities other than just VBS to do that. Uh, I was just talking about you, Wild Lexi. Good job this week at VBS. I'm so thankful for all the hard work you put in. It never fails. It never fails. It may be directly from the Lord, but, but so to keep, keep people humble or whatever, but it never fails when like we're making an announcement about someone or when we're thanking someone. They're never in the congregation when we're doing that. Uh, what's that? Okay, okay, good, good, good. Um, so like TJ and Brittany weren't here when we said they were partners of the church, but they're in the building now. So, um, I'll just, I guess I'll go through all the announcements that people have missed right now and we'll just kind of work through those. Today, we're going to start our first sermon in our Vintage Values series. And, uh, how we're going to do this is we're going to do one value, one different value each week until we go through all the values And then we'll restart them, and we're going to do each value twice. So we're going to do eight weeks of vintage values. There are four values. Each value will get mentioned twice. Uh, I think uh, each is important. 
uh, and necessary or we wouldn't follow them. One of the problems that I've had in my life is that I don't know how to express in a kind way when I think something is stupid. And so um, um, it's, it's a behavioral issue that the Lord has continuing to sanctify, hopefully. Um, but a, the good part of that is, is that I have very little patience for something that I think is stupid. And I think that our vintage values are amazing or I would, we would get rid of them. Because um, I have very little patience for something that I think is dumb. And so I think uh, Blake and Stephen agree with this. And uh, so much so that we think that periodically, maybe more often than we do, uh, <clears throat> we should have times like this where we reassess and uh, reteach our values. It's why Blake, at least once a month, um, affirms for you and reiterates uh, for you our vintage values on a Sunday morning. So today, we will start with the vintage value of thinking biblically or thinks biblically. Um, would you pray with me and um, pray that the Lord, specifically for you today and for me, that the Lord would give us a heart for his word. God, we love you. We praise you, Lord. We thank you for... Um, loving us first so that we know what love is. We thank you for giving us your word so as to not leave us alone in this world to figure it out on our own, Lord. There is no confusion, there is no question as to how to follow you. You've answered that. You've answered all of it. And uh, Lord, while the Bible doesn't speak specifically to every situation of our life, the Bible gives us enough foundation and more so that we can press through, understand, and overcome every situation in our life. And for that, we are eternally grateful. Lord, help us to lean into, to depend upon, to study, to meditate upon, to love your word, your truth. You've left it for us to love and cherish and follow. It is not by accident that we have it in our hands today. Lord, we praise you, we love you. We know that if we meditate on your word, if we follow your word, you will not only bless us, but you will make us firm. You will make us, you will put us on a solid foundation and you will allow us to be a blessing to others. God, we love you so much. We praise you. We thank you for all of this. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. A few years ago, we started doing a SWOT analysis um, of our church, and you've been a part of that. We examine those at our leadership retreat. A SWOT analysis is strengths, weeks, opportunities, and threats. We, the elders wanted to do this SWOT analysis so that we wouldn't be blinded by our own bias towards what we think uh, is a great church. Um, of course, I, I'm able, we're able to see our problems, but sometimes when you're in the midst of things, you don't always see exactly what's going on. So having someone from the outside, having a different perspective, not the outside, but outside of our leadership team, uh, having different perspectives often gives us a better uh, understanding of where people think our church is. As a matter of fact, if you want to be a part of that, you're welcome to do that leading up uh, to a couple of weeks before our leadership retreat in September. Uh, we love all of the input on that. Over the years, we have seen many things change in those studies of our church. 
um, mostly, and I think this is a good thing, the weaknesses have changed from year to year. Uh, you might say, well, the weaknesses have changed. Well, that, that just means you get different weaknesses or more. But in my opinion, what I've seen is at least after two years, uh, the weaknesses that we had in the previous two years are not weaknesses anymore. So I think that's a good thing. Uh, it's called growth, right? Yeah, it's, it's getting through those things. And they're not, it's not that they're not weaknesses. It's not that they're, it's that they are not as prevalent on the minds of people who are doing the SWOT analysis. Uh, now, I'm not saying this to brag because the strengths never say the preaching is great. They never say that. They never say the preaching is the best I've ever heard. But the strengths have, uh, it's okay, I'll be okay, I'll recover. <laughs> but, the, but the strengths always say, always, without fail, every year since we've done a SWOT analysis, this church is committed to the preaching and the study of God's word. Every year without fail. They never say, we've got the next Billy Graham. They never say that. I'm not hurt by that. I've only mentioned it twice today. Don't worry about it. It'll be okay. They never say that. But they do say this church is committed to the preaching and the studying of God's word. And as a matter of fact, uh, and this is not something that's solely dependent on me. It's on Blake. It's on Stephen. It's on you to hold us accountable. Um, it, is the, it is my proudest moment of the SWOT analysis. It is what I'm most proud of. Um, now, you may think... Um, that it's this way in many churches, and, and it should be. But I, I don't, I was a matter of fact, I don't think it is, and I would probably say that it is less prevalent than you might even think. But I want you to know, and I want you to trust and rest assured in this, that as long as this leadership team is in charge of this church, this local body of believers, we will be personally committed to biblical soundness so that you, without fear, every year can place on the SWOT analysis, this church is committed to the Bible, to the study, the understanding, and the following of God's Word. So unless we're in a series like we are now uh, or around Advent, you will every week get some form of thinking biblically, specifically through an, an exegetical study of the Word of God. Now, uh, I'm going to get into exegetical study. As a matter of fact, our entire sermon today is about exegetical study. But um, you, will, uh, you will be reinforced in some way, it will be reinforcing you in some way every week, an exegetical study of the Word of God, even this week. Um, and so that thought brings us to the first Vintage Values Sermon, and that is thinking biblically what it means to exegete or study the Word of God in an exegetical manner. Now, I hope this series not only reinforces you in you the values of our church, but reinforces to you the, the truth of the scriptures from where these values are derived. Now, I never assume our church is perfect, uh, so I'm sure there will be times where all of you are wondering. I know that there have been times where I have wondered 
if we are going down the right path. One of the reasons that we have these values is so that we can have this measurement as to our direction and the health of our church if we're on point, if we're on purpose. Now, while all of our values are important, I hope that when it concerns thinking biblically, that you never feel the need to question if we're still reaching this value. As a matter of fact, I believe that every value, the success of every vintage value is predicated on the fact that we are thinking and living biblically. And if we are not worshiping passionately, if we are not flourishing relationally, if we are not living missionally, the way that we quickly get back to those values is thinking biblically. As a matter of fact, you can live missionally and not think biblically. You can live missionally and never think biblically. Because missional, well, not exactly, but partially. Or you can think you're thinking biblically and live missionally. You can flourish relationally and think you're living biblically or thinking biblically and not be. You can worship passionately and think you're living biblically and not be. But you can't live and think biblically and do the others wrong. Because it just comes as a part of thinking and living biblically. I know many of you know this already and probably have experienced this, but there is a primary reason why we put so much focus on the scripture. Because the Bible commands us to, but also because we believe that the Bible is the first and the most sure way to grow and stay in Christ. As a matter of fact, in our church covenant, we believe that the Bible is the final arbiter. The Bible is the final judge for what is good and right and true and what we should follow. And God, through the Bible, attests of the necessity and the importance of Scripture. Because you've been in here for a while, you've heard me say a few times. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is God-breathed. It is breathed out by inspiration of God and is profitable, profitable for teaching, rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God will be well-equipped for every good work. The Bible is the breath, the very words of God. Jesus, when tempted by Satan, it's recorded in Luke 4 and Matthew 4, Jesus, when tempted by Satan, uh, he was hungry. He had been in the desert without food, fasting, right? And Jesus and Satan offered him food. And Jesus said what to Satan? Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, man does what? Land, man does not live by bread alone, but what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Our very Lord and Savior, when in his, his probably second most desperate moment, when he was tempted by the enemy, he said, you know what? I am not worried about any food that you may offer me. I am not worried about any food that I could, make, produce, that I could produce out of this ground because man does not, man is not fulfilled by, by his physical needs being met. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out 
of the mouth of God. Friends, I want to tell you, the sustenance that you need is not going to be found at the Mexican restaurant later on this afternoon. It's going to be found at the table of the Lord when we open and we consume and we digest upon and we hold dearly to his word. We believe that the scriptures are the very words of God. 2 Peter 1, 20-21 says this about that subject, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This passage and others are specifically talking about the Old Testament Scriptures. So what do we do concerning the New Testament Scriptures? Are the New Testament scriptures an addition to the word of God? In short, I would say no. Peter said earlier in 1 Peter, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. I believe what Peter is saying and with the understanding that we have about the providence of God, I believe he is saying that Christians should have faith that the New Testament scriptures of God and the Old Testament scriptures of God, as we, as we have them in front of us, are the way that God intended to speak to his people. And that a God that loves his people would not abandon his people without the word. And that he has perfectly preserved his word in the way that we have it in front of us today. If that's not enough, if faith is not enough for you, I want to give you two uh, references that you can go to. I want to give you two references that you can go to about the importance of the canonized Word of God. There's two books. One book is called How We Got Our Bible. How We Got Our Bible by Hill and Reeves. How We Got Our Bible by Hill and Reeves. And the other is The Canon of Scripture by F.F. Bruce. How We Got Our Bible by Hill and Reeves. The other is The Canon of Scripture by F.F. F. Bruce. I think firstly you need to have faith that God has perfectly preserved his word so that we can have a way to follow. God would never leave us alone. He would never leave us alone. And if that's not enough for you, then read those books or read one of those books. And I promise you, the scriptures that have lasted, that have been written over a couple thousand years, that were written by the Holy Spirit, that were preserved by the Holy Spirit, I can promise you, they are sufficient, they are good, and if you trust in God through those, you will have your doubt removed. But I can promise you also this, that some person that gets 60 or 70 years some person that has 20 or 30 or 40 years of study, they can give their best effort. You can give your best knowledge. You can do whatever you can, and you will not thwart the mighty scriptures of God. The arrogant person thinks that in their breath of life, 
that they can somehow condescend against God, that they can somehow disprove God who has been proven over and over again, not just through the scriptures for thousands of years, but since the beginning. His divine power has granted us everything that pertains to life and godliness, and we can see those things through the scriptures. He gives us everything we need. So the scriptures, they're God-breathed, they are inspired, they are profitable for life and godliness. But for you, not just in and of themselves. You cannot use your Bible as a pillow and then hope through osmosis the next morning you have all the things that you need that pertains to life and godliness. It cannot be carried under your arm or in your pocket, or sit on your coffee table, and the words just float out of it through the room like Wi-Fi, and like it uh, radiates, like Wi-Fi radiates in your brain, and it's probably dangerous for you. The Bible radiates through your brain just because it's around you. It is not enough that your grandmother taught you or that your parents taught you. Or even that you're sitting in here today. The Bereans are thought highly of in the Bible. In Acts 17, they were commended for testing everything that Paul and Silas said. I think many of us would like to think of ourselves as Bereans who tested Paul the Apostle... And his partner Silas. But yet some of us aren't even willing to pick up First Peter before or after Bryce, the not great pastor, goes through it. Romans 12.2 says that by testing you may discern what the will of God is. Testing what? Testing our lives and situations against the scriptures. Working through it. Studying it. The Bible. Really struggling. If we get testing really is this in another way. If we get to a place where our feelings and personal beliefs take us away from what the scriptures say, then we change our feelings and personal beliefs and not reject scripture. Why? Because the purpose of the Bible is to make us into image bearers of God and not God into image bearers of us. In Hebrews 4, the Bible is called the living and active Word. In Psalm 119, it is the way that a man keeps his way pure and straight. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. How can a man keep his way straight? By living it according to your word. Psalm 1 teaches us 
what I think is about Jesus, but also the pattern of spiritual growth. And it's about the blessed man who rejects the counsel of the wicked, the way of sinners, and the seat of mockers. And he accepts and delights in the law of the Lord. Psalm 1 says that he is like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. Colossians 3 says we are called to let the word of God dwell in us richly. You know what the word dwell means? Make its abode in you. Make its home in you. Like the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Like you indwell at the house where you currently reside. Let it sit in you. Let it live in you. Let it work in you. Let it use you. And in James we find out that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without criticizing. How is wisdom attained? Through the indwelling Holy Spirit which teaches us, who teaches us the word of God. 1 John 2.27 says that because of the anointing within you, that is the Holy Spirit within you, you need no man to teach you. That means that while this sermon is important and while this time is necessary, that spiritual growth can and should happen outside of the Sunday morning service. It should happen when the people of God get in the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God who indwells the people of God teaches them the word of God. The word has always been the path. Whether it was the book of law, whether it's the prophets, or whether it's the finished and canonized Old and New Testaments of the Bible that we have before us, the word has always been the path. The new and younger leader that followed Moses was Joshua. And at the end of Joshua, we see Joshua give the people an ultimatum. In Joshua 24, he says, Choose you this day who you will serve, whether it was God, the God your fathers served across the river, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then in Joshua 1, before all of that, he teaches them what serving the Lord means. In Joshua 1, he says, This book of law shall not depart from my mouth, but I will meditate on it day and night. Choose you this day, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Here's how it's done. This book of law shall not depart from my mouth, but I will meditate on it day and night. The Bible, in all of its forms, leading up to the final canonized scripture, has always been the way that the people of God find God, know him more, and live for him. Proverbs 2, 1 through 5, as Tony read earlier, reassures us with this, my son, if you receive my Words And if you treasure up my commands with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it uh, like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God. Teaching Preaching, self-study, and learning the word of God is not just a suggestion for Christians. 
but it is an absolute necessity. And if you didn't already believe that, I hope that by the end of the day and by the end of our Vintage Value series, you have come to ascertain that. Christian, you need to know this. Your spiritual growth will always be less than it can be, will always be hindered without a consistent studying, meditating upon, digestion of God's word. But on the flip side, your spiritual growth will always be more than you thought it would be, will always be moving along the right path, will always be progressing instead of regressing when you commit to studying God's word. Today, as a way of further diving into thinking biblically, I I want to discuss the idea of biblical exegesis. Now, you may not know what that is, but I hope by the end of our time, you have an appreciation for biblical exegesis. Um, When I was a youth director and I didn't study as much as I should or I was having problems with sermons, uh, I would... This happened very rarely, and it hasn't happened at Vintage in 10 years, so you should be happy. Uh, I would say, uh, let's just have a prayer service today, and uh, we're going to just really focus on prayer tonight. And so now, I don't know if it's for that reason, but and I don't know if she even intended to, but I was in my car before today, and I was really thinking about whether I messed up in the way that I'm going to give you this sermon. And Summer came by and said, why don't you just have a prayer service uh, this morning? And so uh, I'm at the point of no return. I feel like we should probably stop and have a prayer service. But, <laughs> but instead, what I'm going to do, I'm going to do something different. What I'm going to do is I'm going to teach you about exegesis, and then I'm going to try to, in a very small way, exegete a passage with you today. Okay, and uh, it's not going to be enough for some of you, and it might be too much for some of you, and it's not exactly what I do, but I think it'll be helpful overall. I don't want to just say this is how you do it and not do it with you. So if this is good for you, I think there's going to be at least a few profitable things, so glean what you can and throw away what you can't. Okay, look at 2 Peter 2, 14 through 18. I'm not going to go through all of 2 Peter 2 because I don't know if you know this, but after this sermon series, we're going to be going through 2 Peter. So I don't want to... Yeah, 2 Timothy, sorry. Yeah, that is right. I wrote it wrong here. 2 Timothy 2. Let me make sure because, see, this is already. Is that right, 2 Timothy 2? Well, but that doesn't mean that that's right. Someone turn to 2 Timothy 2 really quickly and confirm with me. I definitely should have uh, I definitely should have prayed uh, through this sermon instead of uh, instead of okay thank you I needed the confirmation all right so Second Timothy two I just wrote it down wrong in the Bible I've done that it's like when I'm preaching through Peter and we've just gone from Romans and I say Paul wants to tell you but <laughs> Paul doesn't want to tell you anything through Peter okay now that I'm sweating here Second Peter Second Timothy two 14 through 18. We're going <laughs> to... Lord, all right. So have your prayer request out. Let's start, start with all of our prayer requests. 
Hope this is not as painful for you as it is for me right now. Okay. Maybe I should just read it from up here. (laughs) Second Timothy 2. Okay. Verses 14 through 18. I'm only going to focus on verses verse 15 today uh, as we exegete this. But 2 Timothy 2, just convincing myself that that's it by saying it over and over again, verses 14 through 18. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead to people, it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Okay, so 2 Timothy. I want, if I say 2 Peter from this point forward, just let it go, okay? So 2 Timothy 2, verses 14 through 18. So I'm not going to exegete this entire verse perfectly. Um, you'll see it again another time, not in the next series, but you'll see it again in another time. And, uh, but what I want to do is I want to teach you about exhortation, and then I want to sort of break it down in how I want to do it. Um, before we do this, I want to give you some ideas behind what develops a biblical mindset, and then I'll teach you about biblical exegesis. I have some steps, and these are not like in any order. They will be repeated. They will be, you'll go forward sometimes. You'll have to take steps back. But I have some steps to becoming more dependent on the word uh, and to be more dependent on the Bible. Uh, The first is this. Start praying and reading at the same time. Start praying. If you want to be more dependent on the Bible, if you want to think biblically, start praying and reading at the same time. Prayer is us asking God to speak to us often. The Bible is God speaking to us. Okay? If you, if God speaks to you audibly, don't tell me about it. Okay? I don't want to know about it. Um, Because if that still happens... That's very rare. If God uses a hand and starts writing on the wall of your house what you should do next, I don't want to know about it. But if you're praying about something and then you open the word of God and God speaks to you, tell me about that. Tell me about that. Pray and start reading the Bible. I want to tell you, um, in our um, exegetical book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, uh, studies of Scripture... There have been more times than not where the passage that we were studying was so rich and so good for the moment that our church was in at that time that you wouldn't, most people wouldn't believe it if we told them. Most people try to formulate what they're going to say around what the church needs. I think one thing that exegetical study of scripture does is it trusts the Lord to know what the church needs in the time that they needed. And so while we were planning and praying on what we should preach next, we didn't know what the church needed, but God did. And God knew in September of 20, 
uh, 18, what we would need in November of 2019 or 2020. And he gave us, as a leadership team, as elders, he gave us that next passage. I think it's because as we're studying, prayer and reading, are they coexist and they supernaturally give us what we need to know in the time we need to know it. I don't mean that you should open your body. You should be like, I need a word today, Lord. I mean, sometimes this works. I don't think this is your like standard practice though. I need a word today, Lord. Okay, what's your word? Uh, my word is from Jeremiah 32. I don't think you should do that all the time. It might work sometimes. It might be what you need sometimes. But I think you should just start praying and start reading. And read, maybe the Lord lays something on your heart. Maybe he lays Jeremiah 32 on your heart, but just read all of Jeremiah then, okay? Maybe he lays John on your heart, just read all of that. But either way, start praying and reading at the same time. Read something from the Bible every day. That's the second thing, I think, to loving the Bible. Read something from the Bible every day. I was watching a personal trainer the other day, and he had a very overweight client, and the client had never exercised a day in their life. And as a matter of fact, they could not physically do very much. So what he did was with that client is he made a plan with them, and some of you have heard me talk about this, but he made a plan with them to come to the gym every single day, but they could only come for five minutes. They could only come for five minutes, but they had to come every single day for five minutes. The purpose of coming to the gym every single day for five minutes was not to lose weight, but it was to create a habit, to change the way that person thought about the gym, to change the way of doing, to instill in them a behavior that lasts. And so what I am uh, exhorting you to do, what I am asking you to do today is to start reading, but start reading every day. Start reading every day, whether it be one verse or one chapter, start reading every day. Can you do that? If you do, it will create a, more, a greater dependence on the word of God, and God will speak to you in ways uh, I think that you um, might not believe. Which brings the third idea. Trust that what you are reading is good and can affect change. You may think, well, if I start reading one verse every day, it's not going to affect any change in my life. But let me tell you, friends, when you start with that mustard seed type faith and you read one verse, knowing that that one verse that day might be the verse that changes your life forever or that it could possibly be, the Lord begins to work. He begins to work an effective change in your life. I want to tell you, with the right attitude and the right mindset, the Lord can do more with one verse than he can the entire Bible. Now, that's not an excuse to obviously just read one verse and be like, okay, that's probably good. With the right attitude, with the right faith, the Lord can do more with one verse in you than he can do with the whole Bible in someone who doesn't have the right attitude and the right faith. So start praying and reading at the same time. Read something from the Bible every day. Trust that what you're reading is good and can affect change. I don't think that you should do this every year because I think there are different types of study. But number four, read through the Bible at least once in your lifetime, if not more. Read through the entire Bible, front to back, cover to cover, 
at least once in your entire lifetime. And do that the earlier the possible, the best, right? You don't want to be 40. You want to be my age and say, I've never read through the Bible in its entirety. You don't want to be 50, 60, 70. I mean, heck, teenagers, you don't want to be in your 20s and say, I've never read through the entire Bible all the way through, back to back, cover to cover, or front to back, cover to cover. Read through the Bible at least once. I think there's different ways of studying. I don't think that you should read through the Bible every year. Because you're not actually getting deep by just reading through the Bible. I think it's something you should do, and it's something you should do multiple times. Now, if you think that reading through the Bible every year is something that you've done, you've done it every year since you were 20 years old, and you're not going to stop now, that's fine. Do that. But I think it doesn't give you quite the amount of time per passage that you need to really study the Word of God. So start praying and reading at the same time. Read, the, read something from the Bible every day. Trust that what you're reading is good and can affect change. Read through the Bible at least once in your life, if not more. Then, at some point in this like whole plan, begin using extra-biblical resources for study. Now, after you've read your Bible... After you've gotten to a point, after you've read it through, after you've gotten to a point where you're reaching your goal of reading every day, I think you need to start bringing uh, in commentaries, Bible studies, or uh, study Bibles, and strong concordance, other extra biblical resources to help with your study. As a matter of fact, I was, I was uh, listening to someone talk about the effectiveness of the scripture the other day. I might have said this to you on a Sunday already. I'm sorry if I have, but it's pertinent to today. They said that one day of studying the Bible has proven to affect some change in people, but very little. So that would be like a Sunday morning service. Two days of studying the Bible has proven to affect some change in people, but very little. That would be a Sunday morning service in a missional community. Three days of studying the Bible has a week has purported to affect some change in people, but still very little. That would be Sunday morning service, missional community, gospel circle. But four days of studying the Bible throughout the week has, effect, has an effect that is exponentially greater than the first three. So what I would suggest to you is, after you've read the Bible after you've gotten to a point where you're reading the Bible consistently, really daily, after you're getting to a point where you're sort of like looking and longing for a little bit more, because as you read the Bible, that will happen, I suggest you to start getting some extra biblical resources, a study Bible, strong concordance, a, co a good commentary, and I can help you with all of those if you need them, or one of our leaders can. And then I would suggest to you to spend four or more days a week in relatively lengthy study. And but what I mean by that is 15 minutes or more of studying of the Bible. 15 minutes or more. Now there's no reason for you to sort of rewrite or reinvent the will or rewrite the books. Commentaries by trusted sources are helpful and they're okay. And they give you extra stuff that you didn't know. You didn't most of you have not taken Greek. Most of you have not taken Hebrew. Most of you have not taken biblical hermeneutics. 
which is the science of studying God, the Bible. Most of you haven't, but you can learn from other trusted sources who have. So begin using extra biblical resources for this more specific study. When you've done all that, keep reading and praying. Keep reading and praying. Um, I put this seventh thing in here because I think it's a little different. You can find resources on the internet. You can find a study Bible, whatever. I put the seventh in here because I think you need to have your own. You don't need to rely on Google. You don't need to rely on uh, other sources for your own study Bible, for your own commentary. So I think you need to purchase a study Bible, purchase a commentary, have a hard copy of one of those things uh, on your, in your person, on yourself, on your bookshelf. And as a matter of fact, um, if, uh, and I say Ella because Ella has approached me about, uh, Ella, I, I, and maybe Nora too, but Ella is a studier of the word of God. And I'm, hopefully I'm not taking her blessing away by bragging on her right now. But uh, Ella has approached me about the sermon. Ella through Stephen asked me what verse, like Miss Lisa did, what verse we were studying this week. Uh, and there's like 30 of them. So uh, Ella asked me through Stephen. But Ella doesn't have to purchase her own study Bible. Stephen and Lexi can purchase a family study Bible. Or Stephen and Lexi can purchase a commentary for the family. And it's something that will last their family a couple of generations if they take care of it. Purchase something for your family. Now, this is not in here, but I am becoming more convicted about it, and I want you to be convicted in the way I am. I'm not saying you have to, because then that would be legalism, but you should be. I think that we should carry physical copies of the Bible to church gathering. I have thought this for a while, and I didn't want to be formalistic about it, but I think that if you don't already, you should, and you should teach your children to carry physical copies of the Word of God to church gathering. I know that phones are the same thing. I know that phones are good, but if we've learned anything from chat GPT or what a DP or whatever it is, or from AI, from all of this, it's that electronic things can be changed very quickly. They can be changed very quickly. Your ESV study Bible that you, that's on your phone that you think is solid, they could change it without you ever knowing. Beyond that, beyond that, what do your kids see you do a lot of the day or some of the day anyway? Yeah. I'm studying the Bible, Ellie. That's why I'm on my phone right now, okay? How is... How is Ellie going to notice the difference between me studying my Bible on my phone or me watching a reel on Facebook? How is she going to notice the difference between me watching an episode of my favorite show or me studying the Bible? I think you should have a hard copy of the Bible. I think you should bring it to Sunday morning church gathering. I think you should bring it to missional community gathering. And I think we should use them for many reasons, but at least as a demonstration to our children that the Bible has value in our lives, that it's important, and that it's different than this. It's different than this. Now, this is not a rule. This is not a command. It's a suggestion. Okay, so you're not, 
disobeying the Lord by looking off of your phone or your iPad. And some days you will see me do that still. Okay, purchase a study Bible or a commentary. Expect more out of yourself because of the Spirit of God in you. Expect more out of yourself. If you tell me, Bryce, my brain doesn't work that way anymore, your brain will never work that way anymore. If you tell me, I just can't memorize scripture, I just can't learn it, I just can't read it and, 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 and keep it in my brain, you will not be able to read it and keep it in your brain. But if you trust in the supernatural power of God through the Holy Spirit to be able to do all of those things through you, he will absolutely and definitively do all of those things through you. He will help you to retain the word. He will help you to retain and memorize scripture. He will help you to apply it and to use it in the applicable settings. He will help you. If you tell me you can't, you won't be able to, for sure. But if you believe in God who can, you will. So because of the anointing that it's in you, expect more out of yourself. And then the final sort of tip would be read and pray more and don't stop. Don't stop. Don't ever stop. Wisdom is something that can be taken away as can be seen by Ecclesiastes and Solomon. Wisdom is something that can be taken away. I've spent way too much time on this. Sorry. Let me go straight into exegesis, okay? Here's what you need to know. Sorry, I've lost track of time. Here's what you need to know. You need to spend 15 to 20 or 30 minutes, set a time 15 or 20 or 30 minutes at least to study uh, the Bible. So set aside that time. Grab that commentary you bought. Grab that strong concordance that you bought or grab a study Bible. Okay? Pick a passage. Start, uh, these are, I'm, gonna, I'm not quite on point, points one through six yet, but I'll get there in a second. Pick a passage and start writing and studying what you found. Start writing what you've studied. Start writing or typing it, I guess I should say. So here are the steps to exegetical study, and we'll go through these quickly. First, find the text that you want to study. Find the text you want to study. I would suggest, and I've suggested it recently even, studying the text that we are going through on Sunday morning, okay? If you want to know how I do an exegetical study for a sermon, I spend 15 to 30 minutes to an hour multiple times a week going through the passage that I'm about to study. And then the bulk of my sermon is taking what I've studied and putting into a palatable sermon. But I spend 15 to 20 to 30 minutes to an hour, multiple days a week, studying the passages that I'm going to study. And so if you know the passages, which you can because they're broken down, uh, unless we're doing a sermon series, uh, they're broken down and we can give them to you if you're interested. We're not just going to you know, pass that out, but we can give it to you if you're interested. If you know the passages... Study those passages that we're learning or study something else that you want to do. One of the most important things that you need to know about studying scripture is that you need to slow down. You need to slow down. I've told, I've told you this a million times, but it's a, it's a marathon and not a sprint. 
Slow down. When you pick that passage of scripture, read multiple versions of it. Don't just read the KJV because the KJV is always what you've had. Don't read the ESV because your pastor says it's the elect standard version or the eternally satisfying version. Don't just read the ESV. Read the KJV. Read the ESV. Read the NKJV. Read, uh, don't read the message. Read, uh, you can read the message, but understand that it's, a, it's, a, it's not a translation. It's not a translation. It's a paraphrase. Okay? Understand what each is. Okay, so find the text you want to study. Examine the literary context. Determine the type, determine the type of literary device that's being used, the type of literary devices that are being used in the passage. Determine what the passage is. Is the passage a narrative? Is it poetry? Is it the gospel? Is it a gospel? Is it a letter? Or is it uh, apocalyptic? What is 2 Timothy? It's a letter, okay? Good job. You've already started to exegete 2 Timothy, even though I tried to get you to do 2 Peter. Examine the historical context, the author, the date, the place, the audience, the occasion, the purpose. This is a key to studying the differences between the audience and us. You need to understand the historical context. There's a difference between the audience that, it was, that the passage was said to and you. It'll help you understand the context. It'll help you understand the meaning. Establish the meaning. Establish the meaning of the passage. That's number four. There is only one meaning. So in order to establish the meaning, you read what it says. You read just before it. You read just after it. And then you read the cross-references that are pertaining to that Bible verse. Establish the meaning. Determine the theological principle. We know the meaning. There's only one. What is the timeless message of the passage that, it that would have been true to the original audience as it is to me? What is the message that draws my heart into Christ and to the work of the Father? Determine the theological principle. And then how do I apply this to my life? What does this look like if I make this happen to my life, the application of the scripture is number six. How do I apply this? I don't want to leave you with just a bunch of info. Uh, if you want to do this uh, in practice more, I will teach it to you. Um, I will sit down with you individually. I'll sit down with you in a group setting. Uh, we, can, we can set this up. We can make it happen. Um, so I'm going to briefly and in part um, exegete 2 Timothy 2, 15. And because there was a small error in my outline where I wrote 2 Peter 2, for the historical and um, literary background, I actually exegeted 2 Peter 2. So I will not be doing that today for you. You can do that on your own. I do know a little bit of it, 2 Timothy uh, was written, I believe, by Paul to Timothy. So there you go. That's not all you need to know, but that's all I got for you right now. Don't know when it was written. Uh, probably should, but I don't. Your pastor is not infallible. But the word of God is, so that's a good thing. All right, so our passage is 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Uh, Paul is writing uh, Timothy uh, in instruction 
His instruction is uh, pertaining to uh, division and dissension that is happening. Uh, And really, uh, the answer is spiritual maturity. Um, So the overarching theme was to squelch dissension and seek maturity by learning, uh, leaning into the word of God. That's number four. What is the, the meaning? Now, the only thing left of verse 15 is to discover, I mean, other than the other stuff that I missed, is to discover the theological principle and application. Now, not every single verse will have a theological principle and application. Uh, you, won't, um, you won't do a context for every single verse because or every time, every time you study a verse, because you probably studied the context in the last couple of verses, and you might study the context in the future. But um, we do today. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So I looked at a few of these words in the original language using a strong concordance and a commentary, and here's what I came up with. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, study or do your best to present yourself. He is saying literally be diligent or be zealous. To rightly divide means to cut straight through it or to find out what is at the heart of the scripture. This is, by the way, this is number five if you're sort of trying to understand where we are in the exegetical study. Paul is addressing division in the church. He's addressing the need for spiritual maturity. So he's telling the churches if there is division, if there is spiritual immaturity, it will be rooted out and squashed through a zealous study and a right handling of the word of God, which is purposeful today because we're talking about a zealous study and a right handling of the word of God. The theological principle would be that the word of God is a treasure That the steward of God must guard and must not waste. And that person who is not a good steward, he wastes the immense and beautiful gift of God's word. What's the application? Now, some of this is found in the surrounding verses, but some of this is found in 2 Timothy 2.15. The good steward studies and he applies The bad steward wastes time and he learns little or less than was possible. The good steward shuns godless things because he now recognizes them. The bad steward misses godless things because he has not learned them. The good steward recognizes false doctrine because he has studied good doctrine. And the bad is taken by every wind and wave of doctrine. Additional application could be how we specifically are good stewards, like we already discussed, I've given you, in the very first part of our sermon. Read and pray. Read the Bible every day. This is how we're a good steward. You already have those, that additional application. At our church, we will always exegete our sermons, and, and you should also, in your personal Bible study, you should read the Bible every day, I believe that at least once a week, if not more, you should work to exegete the word of God. 
and you should use these steps. And I'm telling you, it doesn't take many resources. Until you can afford a, if you can't afford a commentary, the church will appoint one for you, okay? Until you can afford a a commentary, then you should rely on reliable sources from Google. If you don't know who those reliable sources are, I will tell you so you make sure you don't go to the wrong ones. But you should exegete regularly. You should study regularly. At some point, friends, at some point, we must move away from not move away from, we must add to our daily bread. We must add to Spurge's morning and evening. We must add to what I'm saying is our daily little Bible studies that someone else has already chewed up, swallowed, and then is regurgitating to you. We must add to the mama birding if we're going to grow in Christ. Why do we exegete? We exegete because the re- one of the reasons, this may not be a wholesome reason, but one of the reasons I exegete is because I don't like relying and depending on people. It's probably not a very great uh, example for you to start with, but we exegete because we don't need to rely on people in that way. Even me, even someone I think you trust. Why do we exegete? Because we don't want to eisegete. Do you know what eisegete is? It's a real thing. Eisegete is when you add yourself into a place where Christ should be. You are not David. Christ is David. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That's Jeremiah 29, 11. You know who that's to? Not you. Not you. You eisegete when you think Jeremiah 29, 11 is about you. Jeremiah 29, 11 is about, is about uh, Jews who were in Babylonian captivity. It's not about you. You know why you exegete the Bible? So you don't put yourself where you're not supposed to be. You, don't, you exegete the Bible so when, when the Bible's talking about Christ, you don't think the Bible's talking about you. As a matter of fact, I looked at Psalm 1 wrongly for a long time. It was one of my like go-to verses. I thought the Bible was talking about me when I'm studying. It is, partially. Talking about me when I, when I study the Bible, when I love God, when I pursue Him. You know the Psalm 1, blesses the man who's not walking the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law he meditates day and night. You know Psalm 1 is talking about Jesus. What man cannot walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of mockers, but Jesus? And when I look at Psalm 1 and I say, Jesus has done it, so I can, then I've properly exegeted the word of God. When I look at Psalm 1 and I say, I cannot walk in the counsel of the wicked, I cannot stand in the way of sinners, I cannot sit in the seat of mockers, and I'm going to be that firm tree that's planted by streams of water. When I look at it that way, I'm eisegeting, I'm making it about me and not about God. When you exegete, the whole Bible becomes about Jesus. We exegete so we don't eisegete. We exegete to protect us from false teachers. We exegete to keep us away from false teachers. And I know that you say that I don't have to do this, but uh, two weeks in a row I've gone an hour and five minutes on preaching, and I promise you that this is not going to be a normal thing. But I just, what we've said today, it's always important. 
but I just couldn't stop because I needed you to know. I needed you to know how important, just how important. Pray with me today. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. Your word is true, and we believe it. We believe it, and we know that it's good for us, and we know that it is the way to find you. We trust you. We love you. Teach us according to your word. Help us to love your word, to pursue it every day so that we can grow in you, in the knowledge of you, and in action that leads to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.